Welcome back to Subject to Cross. I'm your host, Caroline Donato. Well, technically speaking, I'm the host this episode, and you're the co-host because you're making me take the lead, correct? Oh, you're not even going to speak at all? I'm you already back. spoke? Yeah. All right, we're talking about um, forfeiture, which on its face is boring, but um, this, uh, I, this article caught our attention. How did we get this article, by the way? My husband. Oh, way to go, right? He said, you guys should talk about this on the episode. This is interesting. So, but you started the whole episode with forfeiture. I need you to zhuzh this up. <laughs> so forfeiture basically um, means when the government's trying to take your stuff, and <laughs> either they are doing it in the context of a criminal case. Um, for instance, a client gets arrested uh, for uh, selling drugs, and they seize drugs. Well, I mean, clearly that's contraband. You forfeit it. Uh, drug money, you forfeit it under the context of a criminal conviction. These cases that we're going to talk about, or this one particular practice in Seward, Nebraska, deals with the, con- the, um, the mechanism of what's called civil forfeiture, where the government basically files cases directly against the property. And there's more Latin involved here. I'll get to that later, but I'm not going to try to uh, uh, commit it to memory. So in any event, in the context of civil forfeiture, where there doesn't even need to be a criminal prosecution, mind you, they can uh, attempt to seize property civilly. Um, The title of this article is Using Loophole, Seward County Seizes Millions from Motorists Without Convicting Them of Crimes. And this is uh, from June of this year. It was published in... Flat Water Free Press. Uh, So that's the attribution. I'm going to read the first part of this uh, article. 455 miles of Interstate 80 run through Nebraska, but one 24-mile stretch has become nationally known or notorious for a type of traffic stop that sends millions to a single Nebraska county and its sheriff's office. In August 2020, flashing police lights stopped Christopher Bolden's van on the short ribbon of road as he headed west through Seward County. Within minutes, Bolden found himself standing with his dog on the westbound shoulder. Seward County deputies had just found 18000 in cash rolled up in a blue sleeping bag in his back seat. It's drug money, they alleged. It's money for my trip to Colorado, Bolden responded. There, on the side of the road, 1,300 miles from his Virginia home in a state where Bolden knew no one, a sheriff's deputy handed him a form. You can sign this piece of paper, abandon the 18,000, avoid arrest, and continue on to Colorado, he says he was told. Or, don't sign, and you will go to jail. You could face felony charges. Your van will be towed, and your dog will be taken to the pound. Wow, that's cold, right? Using the dog as leverage. I mean, I'm a cat guy, but that's, that's tough. Traffic stops like these, where passing motorists are pulled over, searched, and asked to turn over any cash that's found, are big business in Seward County, population 17,692. Here money is routinely seized without anyone being charged or proven guilty of anything. The sheriff's office has specialized in and perfected the practice known as civil asset forfeiture despite a 2016 law meant to ban it in Nebraska. 
One out of every three civil forfeiture cases in Nebraska state courts happen in Seward County. So I don't know about you, but I'm not driving through Seward County with any cash on me. Although 18000 in cash, that's suspicious, right? But does it justify having it seized by the government? Of course not. Nearly all begin when a Seward deputy stops a driver on I-80. So program your ways. Avoid I-80 in Seward, Nebraska. Nearly all involve an out-of-state driver, and nearly all the seized money ends up in law enforcement hands after drivers. Faced with a split-second choice between money or jail, sign the form and abandon their cash. In the past five years, Seward County law enforcement has hauled in, wait for it, $7.5 million from forfeitures, according to county financial records and Department of Justice annual reports. So that is cash and property, $7.5 million. Many in law enforcement, including Seward County Sheriff Mike Vance, of course he does, say civil forfeiture is an important tool to take money, drugs, and weapons out of the hands of criminals. To defense attorneys and advocates, civil asset forfeiture is little more than a law enforcement money grab. Citizens can have their property taken from them without ever being accused of a crime or convicted of a crime, and that is simply not our American system of justice, said Louis Ruley, a law professor at the University of Pennsylvania. It's led to so many abuses. Bolton didn't know of this as he stood on the westbound shoulder of I-80, wondering what he should do, wondering if his next decision would make his $18,000 disappear or land him in jail. One thought, he said, kept repeating on a loop in his head. I can't believe I'm getting robbed. Um, I just want to read a couple other uh, excerpts from this article, and then we can uh, talk about the civil forfeiture in the context of Pennsylvania. Because recently, when I say recently, years all run together. But about uh, six or seven years ago, there was a decision that really kind of uh, changed the landscape of civil forfeiture in in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, particularly in Philadelphia, where they were up to kind of similar hijinks. But back to this article real quick. In the past decade, Seward has seized money in at least 90 state civil forfeiture cases, nearly double any other Nebraska county. In those cases, they initially seized a total of $2.2 million in cash from motorists. Drivers rarely fight to get their money back. Those who do rarely win, according to court records. And by the way, Bolden, he didn't win. He went all the way through his appellate process and uh, lost his 18000 uh, I believe he got to keep the dog, though. Um, let's see here. We stop people. <laughs> I love this. And this is why it's ripe for abuse. Mm -hmm. By the way, so listeners can't see this. So Caroline told me that I was going to lead this episode, and I told her she would not be able to help herself in terms of interrupting me or looping or putting into context. She's literally, I think, chewing her fingers right now. I, I'm gripping the mic. Yeah, it's great. I love it. <laughs> I, I wish I had the, the ability to mute your microphone. You'd probably throw it at me, though. We. This is a quote this is from the uh, sheriff. We stop people for... Three contributing factors all day long, and then we assess them. Oh, those three factors. I think I missed them. Um, uh, 
The highway seizures that net this money often start when a deputy alleges a minor traffic violation, a car speeding, or improperly changing lanes, or like Bolden, following too closely. So, yeah, we stop people for these three contributing factors a lot all day long, Swigert said. So they're basically pretextual or, uh, in non-legal terms, bullshit Mm -hmm. stops. By the way, pretextual stops in Pennsylvania are not illegal. If they can be justified with a legal basis. Pretextual arrests are illegal. Pretextual stops are not. The deputy will issue a warning or a ticket for the traffic violation, often asking drivers to sit in the patrol car while they complete paperwork. They'll ask basic questions. Where are you headed? What do you plan to do there? The goal? Looking for, quote, indicators of criminal activity. I got to say, can I jump in? No. Um... But it's pertinent here. Just give me one second. Okay. As deputies ask questions, they pay attention. Does the person seem nervous? Listener, would you be nervous? This is so illegal. <laughs> do they have a prior criminal record? How much luggage do they have? Can the deputy smell drugs? They have great olfactory senses, by the way. Does the vehicle have an air freshener hanging from the rear view mirror? All of that becomes part of a math equation, Swigert said. I love it, a math equation. All right, finally, defense attorneys and advocates argue these indicators can be weak. One 2016 case in Seward County cited a large amount of fast food wrappers in the vehicle as an indicator. Another in 2015 cited a six-pack of Red Bull energy drinks. That's obviously a drug indicator, right? Go ahead. What would you like to say? I'd like to say the detention, the investigatory detention, is unlawfully prolonged. It's attenuated. It's separate, especially for, um, what's our friend's name here that this article is about? For Mr. Bolden, who is pulled over for a traffic offense and then told to sit in a police vehicle while he's getting a ticket issued to him. Suppression. Well, I mean, it's Nebraska, so it's probably a different uh, analysis under their state constitution. So this article, the loophole that they're talking about, by the way, there was a Republican state senator uh, by the name of Garrett. And in 2016, he led an effort to change Nebraska's forfeiture laws. The bill, when passed, led state senators and civil liberty advocates to believe they had abolished state civil asset forfeiture. The 2016 law was designed to require a criminal conviction before the state could seize money, according to the bill's statement of intent. But the legislature left two loopholes. Seizures of over $25,000 could circumvent state law entirely by being adopted into federal court, and all law enforcement could still seize assets under state law if evidence connected the cash to drugs, even if there are no drugs in the car. So for instance, in Bolden's case, the police officer smelled marijuana. Now, I don't think they found any marijuana, although, admittedly, Bolden said that one of the things he was going to do in Colorado, other than hanging out with his dog and camping, was to purchase legal marijuana there. Yeah, but, I mean, you have $18,000 worth of cash rolled up. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some smell to marijuana or if he has smoked marijuana in his car on a previous date, lawfully, wherever he was. That doesn't—marijuana on its own— I mean, I wonder what Nebraska's laws are, but marijuana on its own is not enough to search a car or to bring a dog to, to the car. So the loopholes they use, if you have too much cash, first of all, it, it confounds me that anybody would drive with greater than 25000 in cash, but, you know, to each his own. 
Um, he or they he can, was 18. Yeah, I know, but his was connected to drugs because of the odor. But um, last year, using funds from forfeiture, the department bought a building for $806,000 that trains canine units and uh, teaches them how to pull over vehicles. Seward's history with highway seizures goes back nearly 20 years. In 2004, former Sheriff Joe Yoakum was asked by county commissioners to look into revenue streams that weren't taxpayer, taxpayer dollars. He learned about highway interdiction. He realized that Seward County is bisected by I-80. That there was an opportunity. <laughs> I'm so triggered. You know, I mean, the way I see this is just step-by-step analysis of all the unlawful activity leading to the seizure of that money and the, the choice they gave Mr. Bolden to either consent to, have his, to um, give up the, the cash or to be, to be put in jail. I mean, that's incredible. Within Nebraska, Supreme Court doesn't agree with you because Bolden spent another $3,500 in legal fees and took it all the way to the Supreme Court of Nebraska and didn't get his money back. Was he charged with anything? No. So he didn't have the opportunity to even file suppression or challenge his unlawful detention or challenge the, the search of his vehicle because there wasn't reasonable suspicion to justify a canine bringing the canine to the car. So that's how they get away with it, too. They don't file charges, and then it's only on the civil end, and that's how you lose the money. And that's a nice segue sure. um, to what Pennsylvania found. Um, initially, I love the, you know, these are, let's see, I got to I gotta go to the Latin I now. hate how you print cases. Um, what do you mean? It's, it's an incredible way that you print cases. Oh, I like the old school way. P- Pete, Pete, prints the case like it's written in the book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm a little sentimental. You know, when I went to law school in the olden days... All I had was books. We had to go get the books. And then at my law school, they used to hide the books, the uh, really competitive uh, law students. And when I was in law school, they taught us how to do it online, but showed us the books so we knew what they looked oh, like. Oh, isn't that quaint? Which is why I know that looks like the books. This, is, this brings me comfort. Good. Um, okay, so there are um, two ways to forfeit this is where I'm going to get into the uh, the Latin for a bit okay. um, criminal forfeitures are criminal in personam forfeitures and uh, the civil are in rem forfeitures now we've established either this episode or the last that I didn't do very well in Latin I'm a very good teacher either though um, but uh, in personam means the body or the person right and um, in rem refers to property <clears throat> excuse me so these case names are great like the the case in pennsylvania that kind of overturned and restored some uh, rights for um, uh, property owners in the context of civil forfeitures is called commonwealth of pennsylvania versus 1997 chevrolet and content seized from elizabeth young and Commonwealth of Pennsylvania versus the real property and improvements known as 416 South 62nd Street, Philadelphia, PA. In a nutshell, uh, Miss Young was the grandmother of a convicted drug dealer, and it was alleged that the uh, her grandson um, had been uh, dealing drugs out of the house and the car. Um, and the issue in this case was she was a 72-year-old grandmother. And I'm going to read just the factual background from an article. Lawyers from Ballard Spar 
represented Ms. Jones, and this is from 2017, where they authored a um, uh, a piece um, touting their their victory. Um, Pennsylvania Supreme Court and Jones unanimously affirmed a lower court decision defining the parameters of civil forfeiture and arming Pennsylvania's involved in such cases with robust constitutional and statutory protections. Elizabeth Young is a 72-year-old grandmother whose home and car the government sought to forfeit based on several relatively minor drug sales her adult son, I'm sorry, it was her son, not her grandson, conducted out of the house. Um, and in this case, the Jones case, the reason it was important is that it set a, it clarified and set a new standard. It applied the Eighth Amendment, which we talked about in a previous episode. Um, um, cruel and unusual punishment includes um, unjust fines and forfeiture, civil forfeiture they're treating as a, as a fine within the context of the Eighth Amendment. And there is a concept of um, gross disproportionality to the gravity of the defendant's offense. And what they're saying is that gross disproportionality applies to all forfeitures, including civil forfeitures. Um, the other uh, thing that they established in the Jones case was this concept of instrumentality as a threshold um, um, hurdle that the Commonwealth must meet before they even get, and they have to satisfy the gross disproportionality test. So the Commonwealth argued that property can be civilly forfeited if it is either an instrumentality of the underlying crime or satisfies the gross disproportionality test. And the Young Court rejected this formulation and instead holding that um, both of those prongs needed to be met. So what is an instrumentality, you might ask? What is it? To be an instrumentality, the property itself is required to be, quote, significantly utilized in the commission, end quote, of the offense. Indeed, there may be property that is connected to a crime but is not significantly used in the crime. Considerations regarding this, quote, significant utilization, end quote, include whether the property was integral to the commission of the offense, i.e. uniquely important to the success of the illegal activity, whether the use of the property was deliberate and planned or was merely incidental and fortuitous to the illegal enterprise, and whether the illegal use of the property was an isolated event or repeated, whether the purpose of acquiring, maintaining, or using the property was to carry out the offense, and whether the illegal use of the property was extensive spatially and or temporally. The requirement that instrumentality be a threshold inquiry provides a safeguard to property owners not previously explicit. So they have to establish that first. And they also have to um, establish that it's not grossly disproportional. And significant in this decision um, is the fact that they're not just looking at the value of the property, they're looking at the property itself. For instance, in Joan's case, it was her residence, it was her home. And there's a subjective concept of, of, of value that applies in the context of proportionality. So this really, you know, the Philadelphia was notorious. Uh, there's numbers in here, millions of dollars that they were um, forfeiting civilly. It was, you know, it's kind of a, it is, it's a law enforcement money grab. Now that, I'm not saying they don't use it for law enforcement, for legitimate law enforcement um, purposes. Like even in Seward County, they documented all the money was going towards like some of it looked like, stuff. well, after the Uvalde shooting, 
Yeah. And that, right. you know, how can you how can you fault that? But mm-hmm. but still the the ease with which the government seizes a person's property or the derivative of that property uh, is is at issue. Yeah. So, and you know, in, in this decision uh, that was our Supreme Court, the Jones case or the 1997 Chevrolet case, um, they they go through uh, the fact that the Eighth Amendment excessive fines clause applies to both criminal and civil. They, in the segue that I'm talking about, they recognize that the burden of proof in these cases, it's unlike a criminal case. For your, to your point, you can't file suppression. The burden of proof in a civil case is a preponderance. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt like it is in a criminal case. So it was a way for uh, law enforcement or the government to short circuit uh, procedural safeguards that you have in the context of a criminal case and criminal forfeiture by instead going through the, the civil route. But imagine if the civil route had those safeguards where if the government wants to take your property, they have to do it in a legal way, which is what suppression is all about, is the government legally obtaining evidence, um, is the government unlawfully infringing on an on a individual's constitutional rights in the pursuit of their investigation. Well, the civil world, world doesn't have that. So in Mr. I don't know. Bolden. Bolden. Why do you have such I like a... I don't know. I'm stuck. You know how I remember there was a football player, Anquan Bolden. I want to say Boulder, and that's the problem. Because well, he was going he to was Colorado. He was going to Colorado. Yeah. Um, in Mr. Bolden's case, the way that they circumvented that was, okay, we're going to take your money, but we know... I mean, they probably knew that was illegal in the criminal world, so we're not going to charge you with a crime, because if you're charged with a crime and then suppression is granted, that money has to go back to you. Yeah. Well, it took Pennsylvania until 2017 to recognize and and to address the abuse, but they did. And I would imagine, I haven't seen any uh, studies, but I would imagine that civil forfeitures went way down post uh, the, the Jones case. So, you know, all of this is to say, listener, when you're hearing about these new laws and these these lobbying efforts to do these things in aid of investigations and protection of community, protection against, you know, crime. Also think about your individual rights and what that could mean to you. And don't drive through Seward County I-80. On that note, signing oh. off. Oh, do I? Am I supposed to do that? How did I do, by the way? You did really well. Yeah? Yeah. What's my letter grade? Mm, C plus? Oh, come on. I have to at least get a B. <laughs> All right. Now that's a nice, a nice segue to our next episode. Where I'm going to fail. All right. All right. Signing off. See you next time.